This major spoilers podcast brought to you by Barry Darso. Give yourself a pat on the back, big guy. The Major Spoilers Podcast is sponsored in part by the Mid-Ohio Con, October 3rd and 4th in Columbus, Ohio. For more information, visit midohiocon.com. The show is also sponsored in part by Past Generation Toys. Past Generation Toys has a large selection of Star Wars, G.I. Joe, and Marvel toys. Visit them on the web at pastgenerationtoys.com. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Blind Ninjas on Parade. Angus and Deflator Mouse face down in a battle of wits, and to the winner goes the mullet. Naked Blonde Steel Bikini Girl versus Naked Brunette Steel Bikini Girl, and to the winner goes the cheesecake. Plus, are even good? The main man gets a director, the Iron Man gets a revolver, the dead man gets a Del Toro. What's a Del Toro? I, I got nothing. Numerology says 9909 means something or other, but Matthew says the number 23 was a terrible movie. I am not a number. I am a free man. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, folded, spindled, mutilated, or fluffed and folded. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. We three are here once again to share information with you. In fact, later in the show, we'll be discussing we Three by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Because people demanded it and because, uh, I forgot who made that suggestion. It was probably Matthew or Rodrigo. Probably Matthew. I think it was Matthew. <clears throat> well, Matthew we'll find out if it was a Grant good Matthew. idea or a bad idea later in the show. But first, let's get to some news. Attention, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. It's the news! I'm sorry, I'm trying not to yell into the mic. <laughs> well, that's good for a change. Hey, <laughs> there are three bits of, I don't know, these are like, after last week's big kablamo news. Yep. Uh, this week just seems so kind of low-key when it comes to big important last items. Last week's news was Hulk Hogan, and this week's news is the fabulous Freebirds. There you go. There's a wrestling reference for some of you. Rodrigo got it. What do you guys, uh, here we got a uh, news story. Guy Ritchie is going to direct a Lobo movie. Ooh. Right, I like Lobo. Do you, do, you, do you know who Lobo is? Yes. Do you know who Guy Ritchie is? Yes. Did you get your peanut butter in my chocolate? Um, you know, what What did Guy Ritchie direct? Oh, Snatch. Hmm. Uh, what else did they do? Snatch and, um. Is that a Mika Chan film? No, that is a different type of film. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Right, that I've seen. Uh, Rock and Rolla was his most recent one. Right. Uh, Married to Madonna. Right. Divorced from Madonna. Right, that's, that's really the first I don't think I've seen Married to Madonna. I've seen Married with the Mom. So he's, he's clearly familiar with scary space aliens. But uh, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> these are the jokes, people. Um, I, I don't know. I, Lobo keeps kind of going back and forward between almost a legitimate comic mm -hmm. and right back down to like a horrible parody that, you know, isn't really all that focused. So I'd like to see what he does with it. I'd like to see, you know, 
devoid of the DC universe, can he make can can you make a Lobo movie? I don't know, Matthew. Can you? Um, do you want the real answer, or do you want me to actually uh, go off? Because, well, tell us what your <laughs> thoughts are. The real answer is yes, up to a point. Because I mean, Lobo is all about being over the top. Lobo is about taking everything that you like about Wolverine and stuffing it into a great big pair of pants and giving it the finger and then sending it out to, you know, attack the children, whatever it is it does. My problem is this. I really dislike Lobo, and I'm not familiar enough with guys' films uh, other than, you know, really good press for Lock, Stock, and Barrels, Two Smoking Barrels, to care. So I'm not the target audience for this. I can see being excited, but... It's not something that excites me. You, so you've only seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? No, I've seen about 15 minutes of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Um, what else did he do? Uh, he did Snatch. Uh, I don't. I haven't seen Snatch. I haven't seen The Hard Case. I haven't seen Swept Away. Have you seen Rock and Rolla? Uh, All good movies. I have not seen Rock and Rolla. You should really take the time and Although, sit down and he, watch. Isn't he, he's going to do that, that Sherlock Holmes film. Yes. Supposedly. Yes. That I'm interested in. So you should really watch. You should really watch. I think uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels because that's really good. I like it. I'm the juggernaut. Bitch. Although if you watch Snatch, you'll go. Isn't this a lot like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? Yeah. But you know, Lock, Stock was like his um, entrance, his first movie. Yeah. And then Snatch was his commercial movie, and so they kind of I think borrowed a lot from the yeah. first movie to make it more commercial for audiences. As far as Lobo goes. I kind of agree with you, Matthew. I'm not a big Lobo fan. I just never really saw the point. I always thought Mm. he was kind of... The best Lobo bits are when Lobo appears in Superman the Animated Series. Yeah. Those are the best Lobo bits. And and largely, like I said, because of the context, because here you have Superman, he's Superman, and here you have Lobo, he's Lobo, hilarity ensues. Right. Now, I just can't see... I don't know how they do this. A space bounty hunter wearing kiss makeup... Flying, I, flying through the stars with... N- that's actually a pretty know. cool high concept when you think about it. He's basically this giant, muscular, kabuki badass with a space motorcycle. Yeah. Wasn't, wait, wasn't that I mean, like the, uh, what, what the actual plot of the Kiss movie was? <laughs> I don't remember. There was a plot? <laughs> <laughs> I believe there was something about the Phantom of the, of the Amusement Park Yes. Scene. Yes, and then the there was this interesting point where uh, the Star Child fired lasers out of his pants or something. Laser pants. I was. I was. I just. I just don't see how you could. I don't know. I. I don't have high hopes for a Lobo movie. But then again, for DC, for Warner Brothers, it's kind of a safe bet because it's a movie they can tell outside of the yeah. DC universe of the franchise that most of us would know with Batman, Superman, mm-hmm. and the forthcoming Flash, Green Lantern movies. And they might be able to make a commercial success out of it. I mean, look at Blade. Exactly. Not a lot of people knew that Blade was a Marvel comic character, mm-hmm. and it did incredibly well. So who knows? On the other hand, though, there's you have also someone the like... fact that Blade was not, in fact, the Marvel comic character. Well, yes. That movie bore no resemblance <laughs> to what came before it, and then sure. the character was later retroactively made to resemble that movie. Well, and that's fine. Which I hope is what happens here. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what you're going to get with Lobo because, again, you don't have the context. You can't have somebody right. mention, oh, by the way, a Green Lantern was here looking for you earlier. Yeah. Although, depending on when this movie comes out, that might be kind of cool. 
John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. are going to team once again, not for Iron Man 3, but for a little comic book called Cowboys and Aliens. This came out, um, oh, kind of controversially from Platinum Studios a few years ago, where it became the number one selling comic, according to, was it USA? Not USA Today, uh, E... Entertainment Weekly or one of those uh, Entertainment Tonight. One of those uh, <laughs> places. Platinum Studios has always been surrounded by controversy. Mm-hmm. But the idea behind Cowboys and Aliens is that aliens come down during the Old West time and they fight it out. So instead of Cowboys and Indians, Indians. you've got Cowboys and Aliens. See, this doesn't seem so crazy to me because when I was a little kid, that's basically what I played. Cowboys that, and Aliens? Yeah, that and uh, Cowboys and Dinosaurs. <laughs> okay. Which is why I like Turok so much. Did you ever play Cadillacs and Dinosaurs? I played... There was some arcade game that was Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. And I think it was just a driving game, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I played a little bit of that. You had to read that series. It's actually really good. I do. I want to read it. We should uh, find some trades. Okay, I've got some. Matthew, uh, any thoughts on Cowboys and Aliens with Fafro and Downey? All I know is that Fred Van Lent uh, wrote that really awesome MODOK limited series a couple years ago. I have not read Cowboys and Aliens. From what I hear about Cowboys and Aliens, I might be interested. I liked uh, John Favreau when he was playing quarterback for the Niners, or maybe that's <laughs> Brett Favreau. Far- yeah, yeah, yeah. Not neither here nor there. Uh, it sounds interesting. It's there's a thing that that comes up a lot when someone says, "Hey, this movie was based on a comic book." It's not the same thing as being a comic book movie to me. And maybe Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, in fact, I I will admit that I am kind of a superhero guy. I'm Mm -hmm. not really a huge Western guy, but, you know, Cowboys and Aliens sounds interesting to me, but it's not a must see. Wow, they're going to make this movie that's vaguely related to a comic book. I have to go see it. Well, and the fact that not many people read the comic book, so not many people are going to be familiar with the source material, kind of like this new Bruce Willis Mm -hmm. movie that's coming out on the 25th Surrogates. We've got that trade. Uh, we probably ought to review that at some point, too. Probably. Um, so, I mean, not a lot of people are aware, but the Hollywood machine tends to start hyping this now. Oh, yeah. Where they're saying, based on the graphic novel, based on the number one selling comic book, based on this, based, based on, on chicken that. salad sandwich. Oh, mm. man, I think there'd be an awesome movie based on a chicken salad sandwich. Yeah, chicken salad sandwich and chicken pot pie are both are hard-boiled cops. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> Working the beat. One's a sandwich. Chicken pot pie, One's get in my pot office pot. now! <laughs> ah, turn in your badge and your no gun. One knows what <laughs> Damn it, chicken pot pie, I'll have your badge if you do this again. <laughs> I'm teaming you up with Chicken Salad Sandwich for this case. No! What? That that's, guy? That sissy boy from uptown. <laughs> this chicken summer. Salad, chicken pot pie is falling out of a helicopter. I'm getting too cold for this shit. <laughs> Coming this summer to a YouTube video near you. Uh, Animate that. Animate that. Okay, get on Write that, Dante. Get that on there, Copyright Dante. Copyright 2009 major spoilers. Quickly. Yep. Uh, have you ever read... Oh, I shouldn't say the shouldn't say it, but it's called Pancake Mf'er. Have you ever read that comic <laughs> no. strip? It's pretty funny. Uh, probably bigger news out of the three for these uh, movie news that we have up on the MajorSpoilers.com website. Guillermo del Toro is going to be producing a Dead Man flick, and they've also found a director for the film as well. Hmm. That might be interesting. I believe Guillermo del Toro means William of the Bull, but. Yes. Uh, 
Now, are they going to do it as a dead man story, or are they going to take elements of the story and work with it? Because well, like all these news stories that come out, we don't know. It's based okay. on the dead man. You know, uh, Boston Brand gets killed, has come from back right. back from the dead to find his killer. I would be surprised see, if we see a crazy open chest red costume. Really, with a thing in the back. That, I agree, and it, it, that's sad because it's such an awesome design. But, but it might be a leotard. I mean, with a high collar. Well, he was in fact a, a high wire artist. Yeah, hmm. and again, it's high concept. When you look at it, it's this guy who's a performer. He's shot by unknown people for unknown reasons, and he hunts down his own killer, and in so doing, ends up finding this hidden world in the Tibetan Alps. And and that's where it gets a little weird metaphysical being called Baba Yaga. No, uh, what was it? Ramakushna. Ramakushna. Right. When was that concept in the original series? Yes, nineteen sixty-eight was the first appearance of Dead Man. The well, I don't know that Ramakushna. Well, yeah, I believe I'd have to actually go back and read it now, but I believe that Ramakushna was the the voice that basically told Boston Brand to rise up and find his killer. Ah, okay. And also important, that story established the League of Assassins, which later established Rachel Ghoul as the head of the League of Assassins. Mm, so cool. I mean a lot of a lot of really important DC Universe concepts originated with that Dead Man series. So what about uh, the bull producing it? It's too bad he's not directing it. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, you have to figure that the producer will at least have some sort of input. Definitely to a say, lot of, "Hey, this is what we want to do." Definitely a lot of control over the script. So yeah, that would be that would be nice. Uh, no word on when they're going to go into production with this. I think the script is going through another rewrite. Plus, there's that whole Hobbit thing mm-hmm. that needs to be taken care of first. Right. <laughs> they're going to do the Hobbit. That that whole yeah. My like, mom said if you take care of the Hobbit, Guillermo, you off and you'll go blind. You can't write that movie. There's still that Hobbit rolling around the house. <laughs> hand him a shotgun. Go take care of that. You don't know how often that happens around here. Yeah. God Indeed. damn it, we got hobbits. <laughs> you know, when you get a Hobbit infestation, you pr- pretty much have to just burn the house down. Pretty much. Well, you have to be careful, hobbits. If you if you have silver hawks, the hobbits <laughs> will actually kill the silver hawk. You know, it's kind of like. Kudzu, you can't necessarily use it. But so th- then what that. do you do? You oh, just uh, so what do you do? Get gorillas to kill the hobbits, and then when winter comes, the gorillas just die? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you can't have gorillas kill the hobbits. You have to actually to kill the hobbits, what you need are attack chickens. Ah, okay. The gorillas the gorillas are what you send in to kill the monkeys that hey you have to send in to take out the attack chickens. All right. So I mean it's all it's very involved. For many and more of these well-thought-out ideas... And died anyway because she followed a horse. For many more of these uh, well-thought-out ideas and concepts, head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. And if you would like to help out the show in any way, shape, or form, it helps keep the lights on, helps keep our servers running, helps us provide you with fine entertainment like the one you're hearing right now and Critical Hit, the Major Spoilers Dungeons & Dragons podcast, the Major Spoilers Adventures, and all so much more... You could make a donation and can even even get your name heard at the beginning of the show. You heard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all you have to do is head over to themajorspoilers.com, help out the Major Spoilers experience if you can. Also, if you have any thoughts, yes. comments, questions, ideas, 
about the comic book or pop culture industry, all you have to do is call the Major Spoilers hotline. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1939, the Major Spoilers hotline. That's right. All right. When we're done with the news, it's time to jump into reviews. Are you sure we don't have emails? No, no emails this week. Oh, rat fart. Sorry. No, we had a whole show last like the last episode. A, we did a whole show. I'm gonna of make up an email. Emails. Quick, Stephen, crumple some paper. Well, the only one I have. There you go. <laughs> Use that Mikitan photo. I'm sure it will make crumply noises. <laughs> no, dear Major Springy Springy. Ah. Please, please ask Stephen to stop psyching out Matthew about yelling into the microphone five seconds before the show. Dear it listener, really messes with his zen. Dear listener, uh, Love no, I don't think so. It's, Epstein's it's, mother. It's so much fun messing with Matthew's head five seconds before the show. All right, uh, review time. Review. <laughs> <laughs> I like so it. I like it. It's kind it. of a bluesier yeah, version. Yeah, there you go. Review. <laughs> Yep. Well, I'm trying not to yell into the mic. <laughs> Rodrigo, what do you have for us this week? All right. This I, is the stunning conclusion. It is the stunning conclusion to the War of is the Witch Is it the concluding Blades. stun engine? There is a war going on between the Witchblades. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hence the name. And the Angelus Force <laughs> and the Darkness, because now they are a thing. They've decided that they're a thing. All the Angelus and the Darkness are a they, thing. Now they all they all live together in the same apartment complex. It's hilarious. <laughs> I think the I've darkness, seen that internet the series. darkness is always taking out the Angelus's laundry <laughs> before it's done because he wants to use it. Um, so I you believe got, didn't like Witchblade blow her nose in the peanut butter? She did. She's gross. Um, so leading up to this, there were, there have been two Witchblades, right. um, Sarah Pizzini and Danny What's-Her-Face. Batista. Um, Batista. Ba- Baptiste. Um. Batista. <laughs> no, not Batista. <laughs> um, heavyweight <laughs> world <laughs> champion, <laughs> Batista. Heavyweight champion of the world, <laughs> ba- Danny Batista. <laughs> it's no wonder he always wins. He's got the Witchblade on his She was yeah, also a founding member of Evolution, which means that Ric Flair will come in and just knock Sarah Pizzini down with that knee shot that he Woo! does. Anyway, um, so you've had <laughs> two Witchblades, and, you know, you got a little Three bit of buzz like, going on. What's like, going to happen? Are they going to go back to the one Witchblade? Are they going to go back... Are they going to have two Witchblades forever? Is one Witchblade going to die? Um, what ends up happening is D'Angelis picks up or or goes into... Um, what uh, What's the name? Danny? Yes. Danny Batista. It goes into Danny's uh, maybe girlfriend. Um, and then when Sarah is beating the crap out of Danny, D'Angelis shows up. Picks up um, Danny, makes out with her, passes the <laughs> Angelus force to her. So now, um, oh, and they expel the power of the darkness from Witchblade, uh, from Sarah, I think. So at the beginning, you had Sarah with the darkness and half a Witchblade, Danny with half a Witchblade, and Finch with the Angelus. By the end, you have Sarah with the full, full Witchblade, Finch with nothing. And uh, Danny with the Angelus. Aha! Uh-huh. I see what they did there. Mm-hmm. So, 
Danny is now entrenched in the uh, Witchblade continuity. She has her own power. She has her own thing. And the issue ends nicely with the Witchblade and the Angelus cuddling. Um, three slices of meatloaf for the cuddle action. Are they a couple? No, they're just really good friends. I think there is a web uh, website that you can go to for this. Did they fight on a rooftop in the rain and then one take the other one's clothes before they cuddled? Well, they'd have to wear clothes for that to happen. <laughs> oh, that's true. They're just covered the, in blobs of rubber cement, I yeah. forgot. Yep. Spirit gum. All right, Rodrigo. Yep. Thank you so much for that. Uh, myself, I picked up Sherlock Holmes number four. This is a great series being written by Lee Moore and John uh, Repion. Rep- Repion. Repion. I believe Repion. it's Leah Moore, isn't it? Leah Moore, yeah. Lee Moore. L-E-A-H. Leah Moore is, uh, what's his name's daughter? Yep. That one guy that everybody knows. So Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes is arrested for the suspicion of killing someone. And for two issues, he's escaped from prison and he's been running around London incognito. Uh, all the while, the uh, police are trying to recapture him as well as try to protect uh, a German diplomat who is there visiting. And there are multiple attempts or at least one attempt on his life, which uh, I guess back in... Victorian England, when you're going to roust somebody and, and you're going to try to crack heads and try to figure out who might be behind it, you go and you uh, pick on the French. Because there's a couple pages of uh, of uh, the cops busting into into French quarters and, and making off with people, <laughs> cracking heads. French quarters or the French quarters? <laughs> no, French quarters. Quarters that house French people. We also quickly discover, unfortunately... And I don't. I I think this is somewhat intentional because Sherlock Holmes never does anything un you know unintentionally. He walks into a bar dressed as a policeman and orders a a port. All the while, the uh, policeman, the jailer who was in charge of of Holmes when he made his escape, is there and promptly captures him and brings him in in broad daylight uh, under arrest again, which causes the newspapers to all go a Twitter. Meanwhile. You're saying what happens with, uh, what's his name, Lestat, Lestrat, and uh, Watson. They're still kind of getting into the act and trying to help Holmes where they can. And interestingly, Watson finally comes in this fourth issue, comes across a letter that uh, Holmes had left him that says, here's what you should do, although we don't find out what the contents of that letter are beyond, here's what you should do. Although there's some implications, and this is kind of cool, uh, there's some implications that they might be trying to we might be seeing the first instance of forensic science being used to uh, help solve a case. And essentially the issue ends with Holmes telling the head of Scotland Yard, hey, you're going to have to send me to court and I will stand trial. I will defend myself and prove that I'm innocent. And meanwhile, the uh, head of Scotland Yard is saying, yes, but in the meantime, do you think you could help us with this this, case? person who's trying to caper yeah this caper where the person is trying to kill the diplomat and he's like eh, no i can't (laughs) and that's kind of where sherlock sherlock holmes number four ends there are one of the things that you have to pay attention to when you're reading sherlock holmes is all the little details that are popping up and there's too many to go over here but the first page kind of starts out with some of these capers that kind of went unsolved or kind of had mysterious implications to them and hopefully they kind of tie that back into the end of this uh, this murder mystery, because I think that'll be really kind of cool if they do. 
art is okay. Um, Matthew, you don't like the digital coloring, do you? I don't like digital coloring when it's really, really obvious and overtly digital. I didn't mind the coloring on the previous issues of Holmes, though. Well, they did something here where they try to do a um, shallow depth of field shot, mm-hmm. and it just stands, just stood out to me as being, I don't know. Shiny. Let me see it. Shiny. And it just kind of stood Tell out me. as being, I don't know. Hey, look here. We're doing some digital some digital works on this thing. It's the middle panel, if you can see it. The one with Yeah, the, that kind of does look. The tiger that heads looks like in focus. Kind of... Yeah, the tiger heads in sharp yeah. focus, and then the other two characters go gradually out of focus, which I don't know why. At least I they would... didn't throw in a lens flare. Well, let's see. There might be one later on. Gratuitous but... lens flare. So overall, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes continues to shine. I really like this series from Dynamite Entertainment. It came out last week. There will be, I know they've already just solicited the trade paperback for this that comes out in November, I want to say. I highly recommend it. This is a great, great series. Uh, let's, yeah. It'll be twenty four ninety nine when it comes out, though. So that's a little on the expensive side, but well, well worth it. So I'm giving Sherlock Holmes number four, four slices of meatloaf. Nice. Which Very brings cool. us to Matthew. Matthew, what have you got for us? Well, in honor of the recent revelation that uh, this book has sold out and is going back for, is it a second print now or a third print? Second printing. A second printing. Scheduled to be in stores Uh, October 7th. There we go. I read this, I think, a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago at work, and actually really liked it. Daredevil number 500, the conclusion of the Return of the King arc. Now, they notice they don't say Return of the King pin. Hmm, I wonder ah. if that's important. But it's interesting. We open up with a something that happened hundreds of years ago in Japan. And it literally says, Japan, Colin, hundreds of years ago. <laughs> that's literally what it says, where we see a monk named Aizo arguing with another monk about having taken his own sight. Basically, Izo blinded himself to learn more about the universe. Hmm. We cut forward to New York City today, and we find Matt Murdock and Izo having just found Murdock's missing wife, Mila Jovovich, or I, I don't remember her name. But uh, obviously, you know, the Daredevil, the Daredevil thing has led to bad things, and any woman in Matt Murdock's life, if she's not dead is probably insane, and Mila is, in fact, insane in a hospital. And Murdoch realizes that, you know, being Daredevil takes a terrible toll. Speaking of terrible tolls, his partner Foggy is captured by the White Tiger and the Black Tarantula and is about to be killed while Daredevil runs and runs and runs. And there's a lot of interesting moments here. Apparently, uh, Daredevil has begun a relationship with Dakota North, who has the best name ever, uh, we get a shot from uh, Turk from the old Frank Miller series. Dakota is kidnapped by the owl. We get a flashback to Matt and his father, drawn by John Romita Jr. in the style of the uh, Daredevil limited series of a few years ago. Nice. That takes place literally minutes after Matt's sight is taken, and he you know starts realizing that he has these other abilities. Yeah, cool. And yeah, and it gets interesting in that Daredevil shows up to save his girlfriend from the owl. And the owl is like, I'm a villain and I'll kill her. And Murdoch spears him through the shoulder, yeah, stabs him in the back, and then cripples him. 
And you actually see Matt's thought panels. He's like, I take his arms and legs. I know which nerves to sever. He'll live. It won't look like much, but the owl is done. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, my. You know, that got my attention. That That's something that even, you know, even during the Miller run, he never went to the point where he left one of his villains essentially paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Meanwhile, yeah, it is pretty interesting. The Black Tarantula, of course, uh, is about to kill Foggy Nelson when he reveals that, oh, no, he's not evil. He's good. But he saves Foggy just in time for Murdoch to find out that, oh, wait, you didn't kill my best friend, but now the Kingpin and Lady Bullseye are trying to take over the Hand, and the Hand, of course, has been leaderless without Elektra. And the real shocker of the issue comes when Daredevil shows up. He doesn't just fight the villains. You know, he fights Lady Bullseye, sure, and he punches and he kicks and there's a fighty-fighty, but he finally makes the decision to accept leadership of the Hand himself on two conditions. They never work with the Kingpin again, and Lady Bullseye will be thrown out of the Order forever and ordered to leave the United States. We end the issue with Daredevil as the new leader of the Hand. That's pretty weird. Leaving his, yeah, leaving his life behind, giving it all up, deciding that the whole, you know, he's done being Matt Murdock, he's done being Daredevil, nothing has ever worked out for him, he's now going to go be the head of this Hand. The head of this underground ninja clan, they call them the Foot. Yeah, but they're... Or maybe that's... But they're bad guys, right? Well, are they, the are they just mercenaries, as bad though? as their leader. Are they I mercenaries mean, or are they bad guys, I guess is my question. Because I thought when we were are, reading... They are a pack of ninjas, which means three rules apply. One, a pack of ninjas always attacked one at a time. <laughs> Two, they're only evil if their leader is evil. Ah, okay. And three... As a pack of ninjas, no matter what happens, there will always be six more. So, I mean, it's it's one of those moments where you realize that the writer went for something. They went for that moment that you would never forget. And I imagine if I'd been reading Daredevil every month and going, you know, love me some Daredevil. I'm looking at it and I'm shocked. I really am shocked and impressed by this ending. So I imagine that the Daredevil fans either love it or are so far up in arms that they're picketing, you know, big bald-headed people thinking that they might be Brian Bendis. <laughs> um, the issue is rounded out with some of the, some stuff that I really enjoy. And Senti, who wrote the run of Devil that I love back in the 90s, uh, contributes a little story. You know, it's one of those Marvel faux anniversary issues. It's not actually issue 500. Um, Does that I bother you? That. Does that really bother you, Matthew? I mean, you seem to be it taken aback by the Captain America 600 issue. It doesn't bother me so much as I'm annoyed by the fact that it needed to be done. I mean, what, 10, 15 years ago, we renumbered all of the books. Okay, that's fine. This is still Daredevil Volume 2. You can renumber it number 500. And, you know, your math is funny, but this is still Daredevil Volume 2. It will continue being Daredevil Volume 2 as long as it is being printed. So when I put it in the comics, I'm going to put it as Daredevil Volume 2. It doesn't bother me. So much as it seems that it's indicative of a real problem. Because not so long ago, number one issues were the thing that you wanted. You want a number one, a low-issue book. Right. The speculators will jump on a number one. Well, now Marvel's trying to tell us that they've been around for 70 years. Mm -hmm. Which is ironic because the 70-year variants that I bought this last week came out 23 years after the 25-year variants. <laughs> so you do the math on that. It bothers me when people lie when people and, and i don't even mean in terms of 
you know, righteous indignation. I mean, this is obvious, obvious marketing. It's, it's, thank you. Well, that's a good word okay, for so it. Okay, so that's going to be That's my... one way to say what I was trying to say. You know, it's, a, it's an obvious marketing ploy, and it's just the same as renumbering the book with number one. It's not endemic to the character. It doesn't make the book any better calling it issue 500 than it did, you know, making it issue 112 15 years ago. It's just, it's a Daredevil book, and it should be able to stand on its own merits. Yeah. As the book, it's really well done. All of the stories are interesting. There are, There's a, a gallery in the back with a John Romita photo. There's a really nice Michael Lark piece. There's a piece by the guy who draws Kabuki, whose name escapes me, um, David Mack. I mean, it's. I'm not a Daredevil fan, and it's a beautiful book, and I really like it. Um, three and a half slices of meatloaf easily here. Cool. Even taking into account the fact that the copy that I bought has uh, a cover by He Who Shall Remain Nameless that uh, has Daredevil wearing these big, bulky shorts that make him look like he, you know, stole a pair of Ben Parker's boxers. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, realism is realism, and gosh darn it, boxer shorts look like that. But, I mean, it's a, it's a good book, and Marvel has actually put together some runs of this title that, and I want the, I want this to be clear. This is a compliment, okay? Oh, I'm sure. They make me, they make me almost sad that I don't read Daredevil. Why? <laughs> because I can't afford to pick up Daredevil, and I don't have a love of Daredevil, and I don't have three bucks a month for Daredevil. Oh, and so but what you're saying is... Books, what reading you're... these books make me think, well, maybe, you know... If Maybe I had infinite funds, or if I had the ability to just put together a pull list and have somebody send me a box every month that said, here are the books we want you to read and review. Are you listening, Marvel? I would def exactly. I would throw Daredevil on that list in a heartbeat. Daredevil is a good book. And, you know, Ed Brubaker does good work here. I like all of what happens here. And I like the fact that when you keep saying, you know, you say, the, the life of a Marvel character will never be the same. Again, whether it lasts three issues or 30 issues, this is a legitimate big-time change. This is an anniversary-worthy change in the character status quo, and you got to admire that. I mean, it's a big risk for Marvel, in a way, taking a character and throwing him into a storyline like this. So I'm impressed, and I very much like this issue. Cool. You know, I may not start picking up Daredevil tomorrow, but it makes me think that, you know, maybe I'll someday. What a no. rich. So how many slices the old meatloaf you given it? I gave it three and a half. All right, cool. And then I called ju Justice into supper. Justice! Justice! Supper! Okay. Don't forget to mimic Ow, Justice! Plenty Ow, more. Justice. Remember, try, <laughs> trying not to yell into the mic. Remember, you can read plenty more reviews and a lot, lot more up at the Majorspoilers.com website. www.majorspoilers.com. Anybody can do reviews, but we do reviews virtually every day, sometimes 30 of them at a time, ladies and gentlemen. But when the reviews are done, Faithful Spoiler writes, no, it's time. For the millions in attendance, and by millions I'm referring to the hairs that Stephen has lost. And the 12,954 no people who accuse me of yelling into the microphone. It's time. Each week we bring you your favorite characters in battles that are either to the death or 
possibly just designed to make you talk. We're not admitting anything. Stephen does like to play devil's advocate, but it's okay, because we love him anyway. The major spoilers. Pole of the week. Pole of the week. Pole of the week. Pole of the week. Any week. Ba-bum. So this <laughs> week. Yes, good evening. This week. One of our fine major spoilers well, listeners. Well, the major spoilers poll of the week. One of our fine major <laughs> spoilers listeners wrote in and said, "Hey, why don't you throw these two together?" And so we did. <laughs> Come on, you know you have the major spoilers listeners. When we do the major spoiler listener, they have to talk the specific way. Hello, I am a major spoilers listener, and I would like you to do this. So I thought about that it. That is how. And we've been yes. talking a lot on this show that oh, Batman... Oh, God, we've been talking a lot <laughs> in this show. Batman, given 15 minutes, Batman could pretty much defeat any foe. Batman could do anything. He's got a kryptonite ring in his pants and bat shark repellent shoved in his cowl. He wears a target on his chest because he can't armor his head. <laughs> Likewise, one of the greatest television shows of the 80s, which almost had me become a physics major instead of a media major, mm -hmm. MacGyver can get himself out of any situation in about the same amount of time. However, television doesn't have 15 minutes for MacGyver to whip uh, a nuclear reactor up out of bubblegum and bailing wire. He's got a lot less time. That's right. So, if you had Batman and MacGyver in a dire situation, and they only had 10 minutes instead of 15, we gotta, mm. you know, put up it on the it. Andy. Yes. Who would win in building something practical to get them out of a tight fix? Would it be Batman, who, as somebody said on the Major Spoilers website, who has pretty much everything in his infinite belt of uh, bag holding or something like that? His belt, belt, of, belt of infinite yes. holding plus five. Or MacGyver, the man who can just look around him and take sticks of chocolate and stop a, an acid leak with them. That was the very first episode of MacGyver, by the way. Mm, and a delicious episode. And a, yes, it was. Rodrigo, go! Um, I'm going to go with uh, MacGyver on this one. And why so? Because that's specifically his shtick. Batman has a lot of stuff going on. Some people, some writers focus on the detective mm -hmm. part. Some writers mm -hmm. focus on the punching a guy to death part. Mm -hmm. Some people focus on his terrible cursing problem. <laughs> um, but MacGyver, you know, he that's what he does. MacGyver gets out of tight fits. By using common household materials. Um, what I thought was interesting is I was I, I saw a promo for a show called uh, what is it? Is it Royal Pains or something like that? Probably. Um, on USA. Oh yeah, yeah. And it. he like the the main character is this doctor, doctor. Yeah. And he gives this kid like a tracheotomy by using a pen. Yeah. And this girl who must be sixteen goes. What are you, MacGyver? I was like, <laughs> who wrote this? What, you know, 40-year-old guy wrote this and made a little, like a 16-year-old girl say MacGyver. There's no way she has any idea of who MacGyver is. You, you I be barely surprised. know who MacGyver is. A lot of my students, the other day I was, uh, this was last semester, saying something. And I said, man, you guys probably don't even know who MacGyver is. And they said, oh, yeah, we're starting to find out who MacGyver is because of, of the YouTube and the Hulu mm. and all of that stuff. Uh, and probably because of the Saturday Night Live skit right. with McGruber, so they're the going MacGruber back to, skit. 
Yeah, they're trying to go back and figure out who this MacGyver guy is. So there's a slight chance. Mm. Do you know MacGyver actually resuscitated a guy by taking two silver candlesticks, stripping a, a light cord, and putting the uh, the the connections on each end of the candlestick, then using some rubber like mitts, rubber pieces of, of flooring wrapped around the uh, the candlesticks. Gave a guy a shock and brought his heart, started his heart again. Amazing. I know. You know what I heard? I heard that under MacGyver's mullet is no skull, only another <laughs> fist. <laughs> Did you know one time MacGyver took a bunch of raincoats uh-huh. and some glue of some kind, put them all together into it, and created a giant helium balloon for himself to fly off on? Wow. Another time MacGyver was trapped in a house and. The bad guys were trying to track him down, and so he was in the kitchen of this house, mm-hmm. and he grabbed all sorts of electrical appliances, turned them on, blenders, you know, spinning things, got things just, all these electrical things just going and whirring, because it would mess up with their electrical tracking. Wow. That's what MacGyver can do. And Amazing. that's why I picked MacGyver as the guy who in 10 minutes could make something most practical to save himself. Cool. Matthew, what say you? I like to think of something that I learned a long time ago from Mark Wade. When in doubt, go with a specialist. It's very, very much related to what Rodrigo said. Who wins in a, in a uh, race between Superman and the Flash? Well, obviously the Flash, because that's what he's got going for him. He's a specialist. You put Angus MacGyver in a room. Angus. And I swear, Angus MacGyver. Mm. And he'll take like two, two tube socks and a paper clip and Turn it into, you know, a, I don't know, maybe a scale model of the English Channel. Whereas swim across it to, to safety. Yeah. When it comes to Batman, I think Batman is limited. And I, I believe this point was made by one of our faithful spoilerites as well. Batman doesn't develop the gadgets. Batman Subcontracts. buys the gadgets. Yeah. Batman basically goes down to a guy like MacGyver, who is not MacGyver, and says, hey, guy who is not MacGyver. I need you to make me a device that will allow me to swing across the rooftops of Gotham City and be shot at by Looney Tunes who dress up as playing cards. Just so happens to be a horrible hunchback. And, yeah, and the guy who is not MacGyver says, uh, have you got a tube sock? Yeah. <laughs> so I really think that the tube sock makes all the difference in the world. I go with Angus MacGyver. You know, one because time... it's fun to say Angus MacGyver. One time... MacGyver was trying to escape out of East Germany. Was it East Germany? Yeah, West Germany. Which one was the bad one? East, East, East Germany, West. right? So he's in this coffin, and they're getting they're going across the bridge, and all of a sudden he pushes a little button, and the coffin flips down into the river, and the sides explode off off the side of it, and it turns into a jet ski, and MacGyver goes oh, to safety. Coffin ski. You know what was one of the best parts MacGyver. about MacGyver? What? Tell us. Uh, P- Penny, what's her name? Uh, Peggy, no, Penny something. Uh, Precious? Purebred? No, 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 no. It was uh, <laughs> Lois Lane. Pretty. It was Lois Lane. Margot Kidder? Terry no, no, no. Terry, Terry Hatcher? Hatcher in one of her first acting uh... roles. She played this recurring, bumbling character mm-hmm. that always got MacGyver into a fix, and then he would have to rescue her. One time, they were trapped in a Russian airport. Wow. In the baggage claim area, you know, locked up. And they needed to escape. And MacGyver pointed out, that, you know, these Russians aren't very good contractors. And he punched the wall a little bit. And he said, see here? This is just chicken wire between us and the conveyor belt that's out there. Now watch this. Got a coat hanger. Uh-huh. 
stretched it out, made a little hook onto it, uh-huh. hooked the conveyor belt that was car- carrying all the luggage, hooked it onto that chicken wire, ripped a big hole in the wall, and he and I think her name was Penny in that show mm-hmm. escaped. Probably escaped to safety. Wow. That's MacGyver for you. That is MacGyver. I've got for so me. many. That's so bad that I can remember all these like 30 years later. No. <laughs> MacGyver because is just the Pecos Bill of your generation. You have television. MacGyver was my friend. I'm trying to think MacGyver. of another cool one. You know, the, it was actually, I remember one time. Do you remember MacGyver the one where he put the laser? egg in the, in the radiator and the egg cooked and it blocked up the hole yes. in the radiator yes. and it allowed him to drive away in the car? Yes, I do remember that. And there was another time where there were some bad guys trying to get into an armored car and he took a road flare and he turned it into a torch and cut the lock off the armored truck. Nice. Yeah, that's MacGyver. MacGyver! That's the MacGyver theme song. Uh, Have you never seen an episode of MacGyver? I've seen actually plenty of episodes of MacGyver. I just saw them in like 1989. The last year that the show was on. Yeah. And the, the important bit to note regarding MacGyver is that a long time ago, and I'm going to go off on a tangent because that's what I do. It's sort of my MacGyverism. <laughs> um, Otter Disaster and I used to live in this little house. We didn't really have much cable, but we had MTV. We used to watch Beavis and Butthead. And Beavis and Butthead were 16-year-olds in the 90s who riffed on Journey. Yes. So I think that underestimating the ability of a 16-year-old to pick up on pop culture references, as that 16-year-old girl in that thing might have done when she talked about MacGyver, I think, you know, kids probably pick up more than you know. I mean, when I was 16, I loved the monkeys. Oh, I'm and sure that was they a do. In I fact, love- that's one of my pet peeves when people underestimate kids. I just thought that was, it's not that I was underestimating kids. I just thought it was poor writing. <laughs> well, it was poor writing. But, you know, sometimes you have to go for that, that quick sort of uh, pop culture reference yeah. to hide the fact that you have no real substance. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what's really cool about Richard Dean Anderson? is he's kind of made a career out of just doing two things. Mm-hmm. First, he was MacGyver, and he and played he, that up for almost a decade. And then and he was Patty, Kurt Russell. And then Patty Selma, Patty and Selma fell in love with him, and then he did nothing for, like, what, almost 10 years? And then he came back and did Stargate SG-1, and, and people were to, like... Yeah, he grew up with Kurt Russell. He, people were like, do you remember the first time you saw him on Stargate, and you were like, Richard Dean Anderson? Really? And then about... Six months later, people are like, Richard Dean Anderson. Hey! So he's made that career of, of living large off of two series. Huh? That's what Buzz you gotta do? MacGyver, we like to call him. What's that? Buzzcut MacGyver. Oh, okay. All right. Buzzcut MacGyver. You know, Captain Jack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From, uh, it's like uh, Henry Rollins pretending to be Duke from G.I. Joe. <laughs> Which worked really, really well. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole thing was great. I was a big fan <laughs> uh, of that. was... Not nearly as great as what's her name as Scarlet. Oh my god, that was awesome. Oh, um, chick from uh, the one. Yeah, we just Kathy, yeah. Kathy, Julianne no, Moore. Julianne Moore, yeah. Julianne and, Moore from Boogie Nights. Yes, yes that's Boogie what I was thinking. Nights. And for those of you who really want to know what we're talking about, you're going to have to go over to the MajorSpoilers.com website, do a search under music, and look for our Friday <laughs> sing-along from about mm, four weeks ago. Six, I'm eight weeks say. ago, I think. Yeah. Hello, future people. <laughs> And past people. And you can also vote. You can also vote on this major spoilers poll and tell us what you think. Right now, Matthew, what does the poll stand at? 
I'm showing 551 votes in the bag, and at Which this is a lot. point, the specialist rule is holding taut as 55% of the votes go to MacGyver, 45% for the guy in the pointy hat. Um, I think, first of all, right now, they're they're judging on the fact that that's a much prettier picture of MacGyver <laughs> than it is Batman. Um, you know, 200 votes ago. I'm not sure ago. who Alex Ross has, you know, pretending to be Batman, but I think it may be Phyllis Diller. That is actually, I think, who is that one? I don't think that one's, what's his name? I don't think that's Christian Bale. David Spade. That's who it is, David Spade. Uh, you know, 200 <laughs> votes ago. That... I am the knight. <laughs> 200 votes ago, that... That poll was much, much closer. It's like 52%. Christopher to 47%. Walken is the Dark Knight. <laughs> uh, hello, hello, Joker. I, uh, <laughs> I've come to stop your evil reign. So I am, uh, <laughs> most of you know, I have had an on again, off again, love hate relationship with Grant Morrison. Hmm. Absolutely hated. Well, what you he guys did broke with up uh, in high school. Relationships are always tough. I know. I hated. Uh, what he did with Batman. Hated what he did with uh, with that final crisis catastrophe. Mm-hmm. But really kind of liked what he did with the most recent issues of Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. What was the other one that we reviewed recently that he did that I didn't, uh, didn't X-Men, totally X-Men, new X-Men? The X-Men one, I didn't mind that one as yeah. well. And so Matthew's... Did you kept... read Animal Man? No. No, I've got it, but I haven't okay. read it all the way through. So JLA this... 1 million? I think I've him? read that one and probably didn't realize it was him at the time. Yeah. Did you read The New Adventures of Adolf Hitler? <laughs> no, I did not read that. Although I hear Actually, that they're doing a, uh, what's it called, a manga comic, a manga of the, uh, uh, of the Mein Kampf, um, of all things. So, back to uh, Grant Morrison. Matthew suggested we pick up and read We Three, a tale of three cybernetically enhanced animals, a Pets. dog... A robot, a dog, a cat, and a rabbit, mm-hmm. all turned into cyborg <laughs> a robots. A rabbit. <laughs> Who have been militarized. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. One oh oh one oh oh oh. Who have been militarized by the government to be killing machines. And they're part of a project called We Three, which stands for Rodrigo. It's like on one of the first couple of pages in there. Mm. Weapons Experiment Three or something yeah. like that. Weapons Experiment Three. There is a weapons experiment four, which we discover later on. There's also rats that have been turned into building machines. Essentially, the idea with this scientist is he is trying to create military weapons that will keep our troops from getting killed because, you know, they're rats or they're a dog or whatever. And they have, I guess, a lesser life than than humans, according to this guy's brilliant way of thinking. Mm hmm. Well, the big wig comes in, Mr. Washington, Senator Washington, um, and he decides to shut the program down so that they can focus on, I guess, we four, or maybe just discontinue the project altogether. No, they they want to go the ahead with the program, but they want to decommission specifically we three. these three units. Because they're such a great combo team together. I mean, the opening sequence well, is just amazing how they go in and kill this dictator guy. Yeah, it's very cinematic. I mean, it's it's just from that first panel, you can actually feel that camera pan mm-hmm. and the motion. Uh, the character's running down a hallway, and we're not entirely sure what's going on. 
And then we get to that shot where all of a sudden he bursts, you know, through a door. Right. And is just torn to bits by thousands of bullets. Yeah, I had to stop and look at that again and go, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? You know, somebody is being shredded, literally shredded to pieces with millions of bullets firing at once. And I'm like, how the hell is this happening? Now, obviously, it's kind of given away by the cover that mm-hmm. there's three animals doing this. If you're reading along right. the sequence, you don't know if these are aliens, you don't know what the heck these things are until you get into the uh, laboratory or the laboratory, depending on where you're from. Laboratory. And uh, we find if you, the... Uh, if you read the original series, it doesn't have a big spoiler cover on it. Okay. What did it have as the front cover? Because there's two spoilers. Uh, you know, the cover, yeah. obviously, which everyone has seen. And then when you open up yeah. the uh, the first issue... It's got this missing my puppy dog George or whatever it is, uh, and so that's well, that's not necessarily a, a spoiler, you know. No, it's I, not, in the but... trade. I mean, there's there's lots of spoilers. Right. I mean, obviously the 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 cover and like the the credits mm-hmm. have lots of pictures of them. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening right. to the Major Spoilers podcast, it's been spoiled for you. Blah, blah, blah. They're animals, <laughs> but the cool part comes when. Uh, the head scientist, the head researcher that's in charge of this project doesn't want to kill these animals, doesn't want to just shut them down. And so she gives them the option of fleeing. She doesn't turn off their safety protocols. And there's another great sequence that goes on for like four or five pages Mm -hmm. of these really tight panels that are security cams that you can follow what's going on in everybody's mind. And you can see the dog who's the leader of the team really starting to contemplate you know, what does this all mean? What's happening? And they all three decide to escape. Yeah. Well, they don't decide to escape so much as they realize that they have to escape. It's, yeah, because otherwise they're going to be terminated. Or... It's fascinating. That first that first sequence where we see one, the dog, speak. Right. Where it, dog? basically, it's it, again, it begins that cinematic sequence where a general is walking through and, and seeing his new weapons. And then all of a sudden, you know, the general's like, Oh, look, these animal weapons. And the dog is like, I am good. Are you good too? And he freaks the F out. Now, do you, how do you, I love that moment. How do you perceive the sounds of these animals? Like you did, Matthew, very robotic. I hear that, that kind of the, the vocoder, Stephen Hawking voice, oh, you know, okay. the, I am good. How are you? You Rodrigo, know, I, how do you hear me, the animal that voices? That makes it awesome. Um, I kind of do too. Although I do like imagine different voices for them. Yeah, like I, I picture yes. the dog having a very low, yeah, register voice. The cat having kind of a high, high, screechy, high yeah. register voice, and the rabbit probably having like the most metallic out of all of them. Yeah. Okay, just kind of because he always has just kind of very simple like snap, mm-hmm. run mm-hmm. kind of things. Mm-hmm. I always picture him, though, talking faster. Run, 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 yeah. run. Fix, fix yeah. tail, the, fix tail, the, fix tail. I always figure there's more sibilance in the cat's vocals unit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you, just, you hear stink. Men stink. But he's, stink. when he says, now, this is the interesting thing about this series, too, in that there is not a lot of dialogue. The, the heavy dialogue comes in the very first couple pages of the book when they're deciding to decommission the mm-hmm. We Three project. And at the end of the book... When uh, the head of the project is talking with somebody right before the series ends, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But otherwise, it is the animals trying to communicate with one another in their leet speak kind of way. And it's not really leet speak. It's yeah. they've tried to teach these 
it's and don't and you forgive simple... this these dumb animals trying to teach them how to speak language and the dog is probably the most um sp- well spoken mm-hmm. the cat they they even said that the cat uh didn't want to really learn language because he's you know pissy or prissy or whatever and then the rabbit right. is just the rabbit but i found there what's go ahead what what i really like is the way it kind of plays into the stereotypes of the way we think of animals as having a personality. Right. You know, the dog is the one who's thoughtful. The dog is the one who's loyal. He's trying to figure it out. And the cat could not possibly care less. The cat just wants to kill something and eat it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the bunny just sort of follows the others around and looks kind of scared most of the time. Mm-hmm. But when when you get down to it, the characterization is partly in the art, but, I mean... The word choice becomes so important when you have characters who have a limited, you know, a limited vocabulary. I think, and there's a point where you know the the dog is like, "Go home," and the cat is like, "One, no, zero. <sighs> yeah, and he's just he's telling the dog that he's an idiot, and you have to think about it. And he's like, "What is he? He's saying that you know nothing, right?" And you think through it at the end of that first right. issue where they're running right. off into the woods and the helicopters are coming down. It's just really interesting it's kind of it always reminds me and i think somebody had made this point it reminds me a little bit of the amazing the incredible journey where the dog and the cat Mm -hmm. oh yeah it's very much like that have you ever seen this uh have you read this uh dean Koontz book called watchers Mm -mm. i think i can't remember if it's watchers or if it's sleepers one of those two early Koontz books where there's a dog that can talk um through Uh a box and so it kind of reminded me of that and the journey home but i guess yeah. In going to the animal's language, I guess the problem that I had with it is that Morrison decided to use leet speak in order to have the, the characters talk, right? So when well, he says one, no, it's, zero, it's, more... it's written out as number one, N-O, and then the letter zero to mean one, no, nothing. Well, there's a there's a difference. Leet speak is it's not quite that this is it's more like internet shorthand really right than lead lead would actually be like if the if all the e's were threes right 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 Um, i agree so my mistake there yeah but the problem is hmm. if you were somebody my son he doesn't say the number one and when he speaks it's not coming out as the number one Mm -hmm. no zero he's saying me am good right Right. it's not spelled (laughs) g-u-d It's spelled G-O-O-D if he were to speak it. So I think part of the drawback in the writing comes from that shortened speech pattern. It still could have been written one, no, zero, and we could have deduced in our head one knows nothing or you know nothing. Uh, And so that was kind of a drawback to me in how the animals communicated. I still loved it, though, because you have the cat saying stink man. And you have the rabbit yeah. in his short bit, Boss. and you have this very, you know, the dog being, on one hand, this very loyal kind of dumb dog, and then turning into this leader rampage machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and there the are tank. a couple yeah, of sequences tank, yeah. in here that are... Literally. That, that have the moment, I think, where... I think you may be focusing on a negative aspect that you interact with on the, the internet. True. I'm looking at it, there's a moment where... Uh, three, the rabbit is his. He's damaged in battle, and he keeps telling everybody, "Fix tail, right. tail bad, fix tail, right. tail bad." And you know, one has to kind of just bark at him, eh, literally, and tell him, "No fix, three come." You know, mm-hmm. it, they're trying to 
get somewhere or do something. He has an idea of what's going on. Right. But the, the rabbit is fixated on getting repaired, mm -hmm. which is just kind of a weird thing for me. I, you know, each of the animals has a specific characterization. Mm -hmm. And as simple as their language is, you know, as as rudimentary, as mechanical as it is, it carries a lot of weird emotional weight to it. Yeah, it does. When oh, yeah. the man is drowning, when the ra the man is drowning, and one leaps into the water, yeah, to you know, save him. They they could be killed at any moment by armed gunmen, but he saves him, and he he's out of the water, and he's almost talking to himself. Good dog, help mm -hmm. man, mm -hmm. and then they keep running. Yeah. And, and you know, there's there's a lot of that depth to it. So this is really into into the second issue. But what's fascinating in that first issue is as they're escaping, they really don't kill anybody when they escape. Oh, you see them knock people down and knock them on their asses, but you don't. Well, there may be an instance where they kill some of the people in the laboratory. I think yeah. there's a reaction shot to that. But as and they're making their two, escape and fleeing through the building, they're two not actually does anybody. take out a pilot with a little sniper shot to the head. Yeah. But then you know, once you get past that first issue, the next two issues are nothing but high speed chase. An yep. intense chase. I mean, there are literally helicopters and jeeps and ar and guys, army men, running around trying to chase after these three animals, which have heightened senses and hyper speed thanks to their implants. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's also this, I guess, uh, gimmick that they put in there that the animals have to be medicated mm -hmm. every so often, mm -hmm. or they start to die, deteriorate. Yeah, yeah. Or did, we're not really told that they die. They just say they start to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we find out that, yeah, these animals, when they're not being remote controlled, are a team of killing machines. And again, we see the dog blasting people with his bullets, the cat firing these little uh, claw projectiles, mm -hmm. the rabbit mm -hmm. dropping little pellet poop bombs, yeah. which eventually <laughs> blows up a train. They're trying to escape and there's a train coming and the rabbit's saying, fix tail, fix tail, fix tail. And all of a sudden he's dropping these little poop pellets as this train is coming across a bridge and the bridge blows up. Uh, the train falls in and this is where the dog is rescuing the engineer. And this is, you know, Quietly's work is really good here mm -hmm. because this whole time you see him pulling this, this conductor out of the train going, good dog, good dog, me, good dog. And then they're yeah. saying, okay, it's time to go now. And they start running off. And then you do this, like you said, Matthew, very cinematically, this pan shot mm -hmm. to the engineer and he's dead and mm -hmm. the bottom half of his body is totally gone. Right. But the animals yeah. don't know that. It doesn't that. understand, yeah. yeah. They don't understand yeah. that. They understand that they saved him. They don't understand that, you know, he's half dead. Mm -hmm. What's really, you know, I think it's it's almost pathetic and yet wonderful at the end of issue two, where the first person they find, the rabbit climbs out and starts going, boss, fix tail, boss, fix tail. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he's looking for people. And to him, people are the ones who fix him. They're the ones who feed him. Mm -hmm. The first person he sees, he's going to try and get help. You know, that that's a boss. And, of course, he gets shot in the head. Yeah, this is where but, they're running through the woods and the hunter and his son are there. And yep. the uh, hunter's like, boy, run, run into the woods. These might be aliens or something. And he does blow the rabbits, clocks him right in the, between the eyes, which becomes very disturbing then for the rest of because, that series. Yeah, where where at that point, one and two attack. Yep. Oh, yeah, they do and without with, you know, no regard without provocation. They they pull that pure animal moment and you 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 see something. And then you see a panel of pure red, and then you just see one sitting there going, 
bad dog, bad dog, mm-hmm. bad dog. I'm like, oh my God. Well, you they just slice oh. this hunter, you know, completely to pieces and, and try to destroy and kill everything. But what gets even creepier is the fact that the rabbit's not dead. He's no. kind of a, you know, you'd think a portion of his brain has been blown out, but perhaps there's still that, uh, that I think reptilian part of the brain that's still functioning. It looks... It looks like it it hit his his speaking yeah, device basically more it than took, anything. I, I to me it seemed like they took basically took out his vocoder. So oh, but there's a, he just he's can't gonna talk pull it through the head though. No, it just see because they always have like these little helmets, like these little modems on top of their heads. Oh, okay. That's yep. what got taken out, and there's blood there because it's actually attached to their heads. Okay, so I just interpreted right. that he got shot between the head, and it's the animal part of his brain and the body armor. That's kind of forcing yeah. him to be alive and continue what they do because he's just not right after that. Mm. No, he's not. He's he's definitely not straight, but he's also he's coherent enough to where when experiment four arrives, yeah, a big old what is it a mastiff? Speak. Mastiff, yeah, yeah, a bull, a bull mastiff in the biggest armor yet, and you hear him, he says, "Oh, well, in fact, that's the last thing he says." Right, and then. One of his bombs go off. Yeah, the military thinks it's a great idea to quarantine these animals in a part of the city that's under construction or being torn down or something. Uh, The animals run into a bum, and the bum's like, oh, this ain't right. Uh, You guys stay here. I'll go get some tools and and fix you guys up. And he wanders off, and that's when the military come in. And like the military off to do in a uh, cinematic piece like this, they cordon off the area, send in their weapon, and all hell breaks loose. The rabbit does yeah. die because his tail didn't get fixed and one of his little pellet poops blow up. Or was he shot? I can't I, remember which one. I th- it looks to uh, me like he sacrifices he, himself. Okay, he sacrifices himself. Yeah, it looks like he did it on purpose, but it was also one of those moments where you can't really tell. Yeah. And then you have that horrifying moment where Experiment 4 actually walks away from that explosion. Oh, yeah. And finally Bandit just loses it. And you literally, you know, attacks this animal four times its size, just yelling, bad dog, bad dog, bad mm-hmm. dog. Now, is he talking and to you, you know, the Mastiff or is he talking about himself? Because we've seen him. He's talking to the Mastiff. Yeah. It's clear that he's he is attacking the Mastiff and he is telling the Mastiff that he is a bad dog. And that's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's really powerful to me when he comes up because they, there's a, a wide shot where you see that he is literally one-third the size oh, of yeah. this creature. And the fact that half the and armor he's... of the Mastiff, the Wii 4, is uh, is blown blown off, too, from that explosion. Mm-hmm. The thing that I found that's fascinating is they really make a point of spelling it out in that the rodent, um, the rodent machines, whatever mm-hmm. they are, the rats. they are designed to do one thing, right? And they work good together in a, in a group as far as building or, or deconstructing something. The Wii Fours are supposed to be somewhat independent killing machines where they just go off and they kill based on the controls that they're doing. What they point out is that the Wii Three, even though it looks like they've split up and are doing their own thing, are really doing something very militaristic where you've got the cat who everyone thinks has run off is really coming back to snipe attack Mm -hmm. uh, the the Wii Four dog. Or they were it, programmed to work as a team is that ominous moment and then you just yeah. see two come screaming out of the <laughs> and it is a really cool you know splash page kind of effect where they they come and they jump and they uh what do they end up doing they take the dog down onto the uh the streets where there's actual civilians and it forces the military to an en- enact the uh a protocol where they end up 
blowing up uh, the Wii 4. Yep. Okay. Uh, later on, I think this is the same organization that created the Wii Fit, but that's something else altogether. The moment where we see two attack and we get that full shot of the cat's armor, one of the only full shots of the creature that we see back, is absolutely mind-blowing. And it doesn't even feel like Frank Quitely's art. Uh, no, it, it doesn't. Reminds me, it, it reminds me of, of John Cassidy, actually, because it's such, it's such a smooth technological line, and yet you see that animal face and the attack. I mean, it, it, nothing in this book really feels like Frank Quitely's art, with the exception of uh, the Doctor. Right. Her character design. But the last, that battle sequence, the last moment where they're, you know, stumbling away and they've barely taken down, you know, the, the creature actually was taken down by its handlers. Right, because they did that self-destruct. Yeah, they barely managed to escape. I mean, that's just, it's really interesting to you can see how they make an amazing movie at some point. Well, you know, they are, because we should it, talk about that too, because they are talking movie on again off again thing with this with this uh it's gonna be pretty hard i honestly only see this going one of two ways one they make it a cute movie about animal robots who escape captivity and make their way to freedom or they don't make this movie Mm -hmm. i really do not see them actually making this oh yeah this violent a movie starring three cute animals. The wiki actually says something to this effect. It was in production at uh, one point. Um, but I'm always wrong about it this. It may not be in production any longer for a variety of reasons, and I, I can't remember everything that's there. But, you know, this is not, and maybe because there's not a lot of wording in here, this does not feel like a Grant Morrison project, nor does this feel like a Frank Quietly project. Hmm. Quietly. And it's it's because it's it's Quietly. pretty outside of uh, really anything we've seen before. It's pretty strange. You don't see yes. a lot of stories like We Three, so it doesn't it doesn't have you know too many Morrisonisms. And since we're used to seeing uh, Frank Quietly's work either creepily right um, presenting some well known superheroes or creepily presenting some horrifying new X Men. Um, you're not used to, you know, seeing something that's so, you know, at the forefront of this are three animals. Right. Which you actually usually don't see anybody draw. Mm-hmm. Most comic books yeah, are not know. about animals. Right, right. Uh, 2006 New Line Cine- Cinema Option We 3 is a movie project with Morrison attached as a screenwriter. The script was completed in 2006 with Don M- Murphy and Susan uh, Montford and Rick Bintlar, or uh, Ben Attar attached as producers. In December 9th, 2008, it is reported that John Stevenson, director of Kung Fu Panda, was attached to the project as the director and that New Line Cinema was no longer involved. So that's, you know, it's still mm. in production. Right. Ooh, right. animated? Well, Although if you're thinking if he was the director of Kung Fu Panda and that was an animated piece, hmm. that would be pretty weird mm. as an animated piece. Might be even be creepier as an animated piece. The, the hard sell is going to be the fact that this is not a kid's book. It does have a happy ending, in a way. Yeah, you know, it ends with, it, uh, with uh, the military chasing them into a building under construction, and the medication, yep. their bodies are... Re- this is how I read it. The bodies are rejecting the, armor. the implants and the armor, because uh, it's literally right. just falling off of them. And yep. um, this bum that we saw at the beginning of the movie, 
or not at the beginning of the movie, the beginning of the <laughs> book or the third third section of this book, yep. actually finds them and finishes removing removing the parts and taking care of them. Right. And the whole project gets blown up. The Senator Washington yep. gets exposed. The project shut right. down, and it becomes a great big thing. And so there's some kind of an animal rights feel to it. Yeah, that, there's a, a huge protest against it, but the ending, the the last the last four panels are fascinating. You you see the scientist guy who we've seen off and on walking up the steps towards the inquest about this, you know, to help shut down the campaign and to shut down the whole thing. And he finds the bum and, you know, Bandit and Tinker, because they're no longer one and two. Right. Bandit and Tinker just sitting on, on the on the steps and he gives them like five hundred dollars cash. And the last words of the issue are or the of the story are good dog, clever little dog. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it begins the first words out of the first words out of one's mouth are, you know, good dog is good dog. You get to the end and you get that, you know, that upbeat moment where he is a good dog. Mm-hmm. He's yep. to, you know, he's he's gone to he's found home. Yeah. Home is no more run. I, I still feel it's bad about the rabbit. Too. Yeah. He's well, my favorite kid. Yeah, but the rabbit the rabbit went out on his own terms. The rabbit went out to try and save his friends. And I think without the damage that he did, they would probably have never survived as long as they did against Weapon 4. Mm-hmm. Because that thing, I mean, that thing was enormous. And apparently, you know, they made mention of the the pheromones to make him the, the biggest alpha male, alpha dog ever. Mm-hmm. And you actually see during the fight, one attacks and then he cowers a little bit because of the sheer, you know, the sheer pheromones and the nature of what he's dealing with. But it's... It's weird to see a primitive thought process, not like a child's thought process or like mm-hmm. Tarzan, but mm-hmm. an actual animal thought process that is this engaged. I Usually think... when they break it down, it, it comes across as comedic. Right. And there's nothing and comedic this... about this. Like you said, Matthew, this is not a book for kids. This is if you're squeamish at blood or violence. Yes. This has got it all. Contrast yeah. the way that yeah, the animals I, in We Three talk to the way that the dogs in Up talk. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Hello, yeah. hello, yeah. and that's you know that's something else. A talking dog is now kind of been done by Disney or Pixar, and if we come up with a movie about a talking dog who's also a professional killer for the government, it's gonna be a rough sell. But I think it's really worth the trip. When I started buying this issue. I bought the individual issues off the stands, <laughs> which which may actually replace one of the things now that I mention it. <laughs> but I bought it based on the strength of the image on that first page. The cover of the first issue was actually the little picture that you see of Bandit, a missing puppy, mm-hmm. you know, missing dog. Mm-hmm. That's the cover of issue one of the book. Okay. So when I looked at that and I'm like, what is, what is this about? And I, I opened it and I saw these robot killing machines. I'm like, well... That 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 that's pretty interesting. I should start talking like Jimmy Stewart and read this. <laughs> and once I read that first issue, I, it was all over. I was hooked. We, it was that compelling that quickly. We were talking before the show, Matthew, that I was really surprised that this was just three issues. I really felt it could have been maybe a little bit longer, but you said mm-hmm. this is pretty much on par with what Vertigo does. Well, Vertigo has a tendency to do shorter stories, and 
Grant Morrison at the time was doing a lot of projects, you know, side issues. Uh, sea Guy was three issues from Vertigo. And, I mean, there were a lot of different things that came out in that shorter format. Now we complain about, you know, writing for the trade and right. everything's a six-issue arc. But a three-issue limited series has its benefits. This is basically structured like a three-act movie or a oh, three-act yeah, play. Act one, we set it up. Act two, conflict. Act three, we get you know a little bit of pathos and the resolve. It follows the hero's journey up to a point. And I think that's what's fascinating about it is the central characters of the book are not human. And, yeah, I can see your point about, you know, the, the elite speak being an issue for you. But taking a non-human character and making a non-human character, well, this relatable mm -hmm. and making a non-human character this enjoyable, that's a hard trick. And when you add yeah. to it, this this is some of the best Quietly art I've ever read. And I right. like Quietly on X-Men. I liked his, you know, disgusting, possibly transsexual Emma Frost. Because it made her dangerous and different and maybe a little bit creepy. Whereas here, the whole point of the story is they look like monsters. They look like giant armadillo creatures from outer space. But when you break it down, they're just, you know, animals. They are these creatures that were somebody's pets. And now they've been through this horrible ordeal. And at the end of it all, they have to, they have to become vaguely human. Mm -hmm. I, but I, they also have... They have the moment where they 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 are animals and right. they become the nature of that animal, which right. I think is cool. Right. I think the biggest problem I had with it being so short, and I was surprised about how short it was, again, because of this writing for the trade issue, but there were some things like along their journey, I thought we may have been able to find out more about this project, mm -hmm. been able to find out more about the seriousness of this project. I mean, we do, but there could have been just a little bit, little bit more. Uh, the other problem I have is because it's three issues and it's collected in a trade, at Amazon you can get this for $10.18, mm -hmm. which means that each individual issue is about $3.40, which I don't know what's the cover price on, on that first issue, Matthew. Do you have it? $2.99, I believe. $2.99. Yeah. So it's actually mm -hmm. more expensive to buy to it, buy in, it in a trade than it is to buy track down the single issues. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, it's a good story, and so it's well worth the 10 bucks. But come on. I hope they, they eventually make an absolute edition of it. It'll be like <laughs> you know, the, the, smallest, oh, the smallest hardcover ever. That would ever. be beautiful. Yeah, it'd be I 75 bucks. For, for, nah, I, just, I just thought it was overpriced. Now, uh, I think I Grant don't because you paid for it. I know. <laughs> and it's still not delivered at your door. Yeah, Did you look at the back, back step? Because maybe it's back there on the back porch. Yeah, it might have been delivered today, but I came yeah. straight from work. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you, you know, need to check the back porch because they like to hide back there. Yeah, I think what when I like Grant Morrison is when he's doing something that is uniquely his own. Yeah. We Three is a perfect example of this. I really, really liked it. It was a good example. Frank Quietly, also, I really liked his art in here. Um and I, it just it just struck just struck something with me, and I and I, I immensely uh, enjoyed it a lot. Oh, absolutely! Uh, I was really looking forward to it. I was I, I was trying not to hype it in my own brain, but when somebody said uh, this is a book about pets who are contract basically contract killers for the government in robot suits, I was like, I am home. 
This is <laughs> somehow this is what I want to do with my life. I don't know how, but I either want to make animals like this or, you know, if I'm ever in a horrible accident, I'd maybe want to be a killer cyborg in a in a bubble robot outfit. I don't yeah. know. You wanted to be Ghost in the Shell, Rodrigo? I do. Especially if I look as hot as the chick from Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> anyway, that's what I think. This I'm is what's entirely so- sure that's possible. Here's what uh, one of our listeners thought about the book. Hi, Major Spoilers. This is Heat from Pittsburgh. Calling to uh, talk about We Three, one of my favorites from Morrison and Quitely. I think it's probably their best work because it's original. It doesn't just recap some superhero theme that they've done in a new way. Um, it's bloody. It's mesmerizing. Uh, you really can feel for all the animals. But upon later readings, I found it interesting to look at the point of view of the, the people who are trying to rein in these animals and how frightening they really are. I'm particularly drawn to the rabbit. I think it's very interesting to look at the rabbit's character versus the dog and cat because they're both predators and rabbits are typically not. So I think that's an interesting theme. Um, love the show. Keep it up. Some good comments there. I liked also up on the Majorspoilers.com website, uh, Salieri, Salieri says, One important element I had not noticed that Morrison pointed out was the fact that the entire thing emulates a Tom and Jerry cartoon and that whenever we focus on the animals, the humans become huge, literally too big for the panel, allowing quietly to focus on the more grotesque features such as the disquieting grins and or pudgy fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is an interesting point. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until... I read that and I said, yeah, why are they always in these big close-ups at the beginning of The Scientist? Why are we seeing fingers? Why are we seeing smiles? Why are we seeing eyes? Why aren't we seeing the entire picture? And that does make sense. Uh, Joshua Smith says, I've been a fan of Wii 3 since it came out and was wondering what you guys thought of the visual aspect of the book. I've always been amazed by some of the panel layouts quietly chose while illustrating the series. I'm especially interested in Rodrigo's input as a film student as I've read Morrison say that he was trying to give quietly shots that would only work in a film, but he somehow pulled it off. What do you guys think? I think we kind of answered that, but Rodrigo, yeah, I, as a film student? Well, there's a lot of wide, there, there's a lot of like basically 16 by 9 looking shots. Right. Um, the security camera stuff is great. Um, there's stuff that, yeah, would probably look best in a movie. But if you look at, I mean, there's some stuff that is just like classic awesome comic book stuff when they are fighting the rats on on the the train uh, on the the, uh, bridge bridge. Mm -hmm. you see uh, they kind of take the focus away from the actual bridge so all you see is like the the silhouette Mm -hmm. of the rails that form the bridge sometimes those are just cross beams and sometimes they are the definition of the panel yeah so you know if you're looking at it as a bridge you see uh you know, one, two, and three in two separate places. And you're like, oh, this is a panel. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're just looking through it, you're like, okay, panel, panel. But if you uh, take a moment to analyze it, it's movement. You know, they are so fast that this happens in the time that it takes you to look across this bridge. Right. Um, This Mm -hmm. book does a fantastic, fantastic job of um, denoting speed Mm -hmm. without necessarily like... uh, you know, blurring effects oh, yeah, or yeah. Well, lines you, or anything like that. You even Everything get the is sense of motion where the rats are just swarming over this bridge, and you know the panel before it's like nothing there, and then all of a sudden they're halfway covering the bridge, and you're like, "Holy crap, these things are fast!" Yep, everything is fast. It's furious. 
there's it's loud, but there are no kabooms or kathooms or well, too yeah, much. You know, there, there's a little there really bit. Isn't. Brent from Bloomington says, "We three blew my mind. I'd been hearing other podcasts talk about it a lot." And my library finally got a hold of it, and I was really impressed. It was unlike anything I'd seen at the time, and when I was just getting back into the comics, it was probably the first comic to open my eyes and say, yeah, these books can be for grown-ups and tell deep, meaningful stories. Fight five meatloaf slices for me. That's what Brent from Bloomington says. Rodrigo, what say you as far as the slices of the meatloaf and the flavins and the mavens? I'll definitely give it four and a half. I really liked it. Um, I'm... I kind of wish it was longer, and I kind of am very happy with the length that it was. It seems that if it was longer, we would have gotten, like, bad, just stretchy, talky-talky yeah, true. issues in the middle. Um, it is, like, what I wish Milo and Otis had been. <laughs> um, so, as far as that's concerned, it is, I mean, I am very glad that hopefully I will have, this will eventually be delivered to me, and I will show it to all my friends and tell them, see, 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 and they'll be like, yeah, Rodrigo, we've been aware of your problems for a while. <laughs> Matthew, what did you think of the We 3 experiment? I have always said, and I continue to say, that this is one of the perfect comic book limited series. The visual flows, the I mean, the story and the visual work together. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has a wonderful ending. It gives us resolution of, you know, five or six minor plot points in the space of no time. Mm -hmm. And it makes characters that we shouldn't like, characters that shouldn't be relatable protagonists, it makes them compelling. And at the end, you know, when it's obvious that the dog and the cat just outsmarted the entire military industrial complex. Yeah. It's it's got that oh hell yeah moment at the end where you just kind of want to cheer a little bit, you know, for for the dog. And it, it even makes you sad. I won't say that I teared up when Bandit, you know, pooped his final poop. Yeah. But it was Pirate. it was definitely a moving moment and it was a moving moment in a way that you know, at the death of Adric on Doctor Who was a similar moment for me. It's a character doing something that he needed to do, and you feel you regret the death of that character, but you realize that that ending Barry Allen's him to a degree. It makes mm-hmm. him more important than just you know uh, it's 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 a rabbit in a robot suit. It's a it's a robot. He becomes a. A, 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 he be, he really kind of transcends himself, and he becomes a heroic character. Mm-hmm. And you forget the fact that he's a rabbit in a little pink battle suit. Mm-hmm. It's a moment where you know he sacrificed himself to save his friends, and you have to love that. Yep. I'm gonna go. I'm with, gonna go with five out of five. Okay, Rodrigo. I'm gonna agree with you. Four and a half. I oh. just thought it was no five. No four and a half. I I just really five. wished it had a little bit more to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm kind of. I think I'm kind of feel burned on the paying almost 350 per <laughs> per uh, issue yeah. now on this when it could easily be probably I don't know how if this is sold out Matthew do you have these in the in the bins at the uh, Gatekeeper Comics and Ho- Hobbies Huntoon and Gage go in and ask Matthew about I, their Magic the Gathering tournament on Saturdays negative. I'll tell you the truth right now the only copies of We Three I have ever seen in their original form are the ones that I own it sold out everywhere that had it and nobody could get more. Hmm. Amazing. Yep. 
Yep. So it looks like you're going to have to drop drop the money if you want to get this. And as you can tell from the three of us, it's highly rated, highly recommended. Uh, you should go out and, and Excellent. pick yourself up a copy. Excellent. Yep. So next week on the Major Spoilers podcast, the, the main uh, Tuesday-Wednesday show that we're going to be doing, we're going to be diving back into Batman territory, something that I don't think we've ever done before. We haven't talked about Batman oh, four or oh five no. times yet. <laughs> we're going Certainly to look at a series that came out in what, Matthew, 87, 86, 87, 88, somewhere in there? It was right after the crisis, so it may have been 88. Okay. Batman the Cult. And the reason why we're going to do that one is some of you may have read this. Fire! <laughs> oh, sorry. Some of you Ooh. may. Then we're going to do, what else are we going to do? We're going to do uh, Superman and Tesla. We're going to do uh, <laughs> The Flash the and Chicago. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> Captain America and America. Don't forget that. We uh, Spider-Man and the Ramones ought to be good. <laughs> If you have read Blackest Night, there was a panel in the Blackest Night Batman tie-in where uh, Deacon Joseph Blackfire rose from the dead. And some people may be scratching their head going, what the hell is that all about? Well, he originated in a series called The Cult. It came out in 1988, all about a cult that kind of does some brainwashing to good old Bruce Wayne. And we're going to take a look at that next week at the Major Spoilers podcast. Brainwashing. Until then, I've got one of those questions to ask you this weekend on the Major Spoilers podcast. Don't forget to check out the Critical Hit podcast, which is doing incredibly well over at iTunes Mm -hmm. and in the downloads, and apparently for people who like Dungeons & Dragons. Head over to the Majorspoilers.com website where you can find news, reviews, interviews, pictures, and a whole lot more. We've got a forum section that you want to get involved in. You can meet Rodrigo there as your moderator, and he may meet crack Rodrigo. you on the head. His boy, Navare. <laughs> Imaginary <laughs> girlfriend. All right. We almost went the whole show. Almost. Almost a whole there. lot more over there at Major Spoilers. Be part of the Major Spoilers experience because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you next time. Good, good podcast. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the ons. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way to think about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler.
start raving rich like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Whoa, 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 whoa! What a major spoiler! Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.